Well, somewhere near where you're sitting is a Bible. Would you grab it? Open it up with me to page 911. You can find the second half of Acts chapter 2. Again, that's page 911. That's where we're going to camp out over the next few minutes together. And while you're turning there, let me show you this picture. This is my son, Adam. Uh, He's just turned nine years old about a month ago. This is the day he was born, the day I became a dad. And every parent wonders two things about their kids on the day of their birth. Number one, who do you look like? (laughs) Do you have my chin? Is that your mom's eyes? And, And then also, who will you be? when you grow up. Maybe you remember that, saying that about your kids. Maybe you don't have kids of your own. Guaranteed your parents were saying that about you. Let's go back real quick. Uh, I remember uh, wondering, can we take a look back at the picture before that? I remember wondering, uh, how do you do the swaddle thing? Can we get the nurse back in here? Because I just, I don't know. I just hope I don't screw this guy up too much. And what we ask about our kids, I would argue, are the same two questions that we could ask about the first Christians in the church long ago. Number one, let's take a look at this list. What did it look like? What made it distinct? What were the marks of the first Christian? What made them unique and special? And second, what glimpses do we have in their first days and months of who they were growing up to be. These questions aren't important just intellectually, historically, whether you care about them or not. I think these are two important questions for us personally as well. Because, you know, there's a lot that's may seem different. If you've been around here for a long time, there's so much that is still the same. Maybe people look different to you. Maybe you're new and you haven't been here that long. I would argue that these are questions that are very personal for you. Who are you becoming as you grow up as a follower of Jesus? Whether you've been around here a long time or a little time, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or a little time, maybe you're not a Christian at all. Who could you become? What could you look like? And what could be distinct about you and to make you different as a follower of Jesus? So these are the two questions that we'll ask. What did the church look like? And who is it becoming? Number one, you got your Bible open? Uh, Let's take a close look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Let's read these five verses, then we'll zoom in on the first one. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and all all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being 
saved. Now Luke tells us that they were, verse 42, devoted. Here's the list of things that they were devoted to. Number one, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. See that word in yellow? Again, devoted. Devoted means more than just emotional attachment or to be religiously zealous for something. It means to give yourself away to something else. To set yourself aside for the sake of something greater and more important. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, more than just personal opinion. The doctrine and theology mattered. They were giving themselves away. The sub- spiritual submission matters. They were devoted in fellowship to each other. They lived like an extended family. We hear Luke zoom in on what that looked like in the verses that follow verse 42, the way that they shared things with each other. Uh, they, they broke the bread. That's a reference in the New Testament to the Lord's Supper. Uh, prayers, he's talking about corporate worship there, being in person physically, that they were together They gave themselves away for for the sake of something greater. They were devoted, number one, and they were diverse, number two. Luke goes to great length at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 to list the number of nations, the people who were present in Jerusalem from all over that day, 18 different nations, racially diverse and economically diverse from the top to the bottom, rich and poor and socially gender men and women for the first time in history are treated with equal dignity and worth you might say that the early church in all of its diversity was the envy of every corporate culture in America today (laughs) this is where it started We're all trying to get back there. Devoted and diverse. But what about its future? Who was it growing up to be? Because so strong is the sense of devotion and diversity that in the next three centuries it becomes the dominant religion in the world pushing out the Greco-Roman system of gods and goddesses, of sacrifice and appeasement, of fear and shame and honor. Verse 47, we have a glimpse of that. I hope you still have your Bible open. Let's take a look. It says that they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, receiving food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 46, and then verse 47 continues, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. That's not just within the church. That's from the outside of the church looking in. The people around them noticed that there was something that made them special. Something about the way they carried themselves. Something about the way that they were devoted to each other. The way that they gave themselves to one another and set aside their own needs for the sake of each other. It was the dominant force not in in an oppressive way, but in a primary way. And part of the reason it was so dominant is because it was so different. Today's sermon is brought to you by the letter D. Can you tell? (laughs) Here's what 
Kenneth Scott Latourette, who was a professor of history at Yale University, says in an essay about the early church. He's trying to understand what made Christianity so different, so attractive. And he makes a list and he says this, quote, More than any of its competitors, Christianity attracted all races and classes. Judaism never quite escaped from its racial bonds. Christianity, however, gloried in its appeal to Jew and Gentile, to Greek and barbarian. The Greek and Roman philosophies never really won the allegiance of the masses. They appealed primarily to the educated, the morally and socially socially cultured, but Christianity drew the lowly and the unlettered, yet also developed a philosophy of its own which commanded the respect of many of the educated. Christianity, too, was for both sexes, whereas two of its main rivals were primarily for men, and the church welcomed both rich and poor. And we may take this for granted today, but in history it was remarkably different. The world had yet to see anything like it. And yet already in its infant stage, we have a small glimpse, not just of what the church would become, but what heaven will be like. Here's how the essayist wraps up. He lands the plane and concludes like this. No other religion took in so many other groups and strata of society. The question must be raised. Why this unprecedented comprehensiveness came to appear first to the world in Christianity? If you took a picture of the early church, no cameras, of course, but we have words, accounts, first-hand accounts, eyewitness accounts of people who were there. If you took a picture, though, of the church, you'd see devotion. People giving themselves away. You'd see diversity. You'd have a glimpse of what it was growing up to be, the, the dominant force for good in the world for centuries to come, It was so different. Why? Why were they, not just the church, but why were they so devoted? Different and diverse. What made them unique? The birth, not of a church, but the birth of a baby. It's Christmas. You might say, wait, Christmas, Pentecost, it's September. What are we talking about Christmas for, Pastor Nate? Uh, You know what today is? September, what's the date today? The 25th. Guess what that means for you? Three more months of shopping. That's all you get. (laughs) And about three months from right now, you're going to be in a room like this one singing a song like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Glory to the what? Newborn King. Verse 3. Hail the heaven born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. 
light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings, mild he lays his glory by. When does he do that? At his birth. Takes on human flesh, sets aside his glory. He does that at his birth in part. Where does he do that in full? On the cross. Because it's on the cross we find Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God and fully man, giving himself away for you. Laying aside his glory to give to you a beauty that will never be taken away. And laying aside his reputation. He's rejected by his friends, by his father, to give you a name that will never be taken away. So that you could belong to someone greater than yourself. We find Jesus Christ on the cross who was rich, becoming poor to give you riches and an inheritance that will be yours forever. We find Jesus Christ, true man, fully grown and true God, laying aside his power, becoming weak, weak unto death, and dying on the cross, laying down his life only to take it up again so that in him you can have a life that goes on forever and ever and ever. Amen. Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself away for you. Do you see his devotion? To you. We have to ask one last question. And maybe you're here and you say, well, I've heard that before. I kind of have a glimpse of that. But, but now what? I mean, what does that mean on September 25th? Not just historically for them, but what does that mean for you and for me today? It means at least two things. It means devotion to one another. It means commitment. Because Acts chapter 2 is a picture of the church at its best. Maybe you remember looking at old baby pictures of your kids if you're a parent. You know, your kids are cute and cuddly and snuggly. It's so easy to look back on pictures like that and sort of romanticize the past, those first days, and to forget that those first days were full of late nights and diapers and late nights and diaper and late nights and diapers. My son Jude just turned five, our youngest son. We are finally out of diapers. I'm 41 years old. You know, it's, like, it's about time. <laughs> and our kids, what happens? They become from babies to kids to adolescents. And the awkwardness of voices changing and acne. And there's some cringy moments when we look back on our own pictures of when we were that age. Teenagers, And it's the same thing's true for the church. It's just a, in, in its infant stage here, but it has difficult moments ahead of it. Moments where things are going to get awkward and things won't look the way they once did. 
And you fast forward to today, there is no church on earth that has the perfect balance of teaching and fellowship, of mission and diversity, of charity and social justice. It's different by denominations that have their own unique emphases. It's different by local churches that have their own sense of priorities. And if let me just say this to you. If you're content to worship here because you like the teaching or you like the music, which I think are great, especially the first one, if you're here without giving yourself away to a church family. May I just challenge you by saying, you were born into a nuclear family, but you belong in a spiritual family. It's what you were made for. And I gotta tell you, if you're looking for the perfect church, then our Father Lutheran Church is not the church for you. I tell every new member class twice a year that if you're here long enough, eventually we're going to let each other down. Because this is not the perfect church, and I, we are not the perfect pastors or staff, and you are not the perfect. We're going to let each other down if you're here long enough. And whether or not you're new, let me say something to, to you. Maybe you've been around here for a while. Maybe you're content to worship when it suits you, when it's convenient. Let me say to you that that not only do you belong in a spiritual family, but you belong in a physical one, too. Where you can taste and touch the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you may know God forgives you, but when you can hear out loud the words of God saying to you, I forgive you. And I love you. You know, you know that's true about our families. You know, we, we hurt each other, we let each other down. We're but, but to hear somebody we love who matters to us say out loud to us, I love you, I forgive you. Those words make all the difference, even though we may know they love us. Same thing's true about God. To hear out loud the words, I love you, I forgive you. Even if we know it, the hearing those words with our ears physically matter and saying the words of the creed and singing the songs of the hymns together. You were made for a spiritual family and you belong in a physical one too. That means commitment. That means you gotta be here. Number one. And number two, it means rebirth. Back to Hark the Herald Angels Sing, verse three. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. This is like what Jesus says to Nicodemus. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. Broadly speaking, he's talking about our conversion. Narrowly speaking, this cycle of rebirth is a daily dying and rising of repentance. It's a hunger and a thirst for righteousness to, grave, to crave the pure spiritual milk of the gospel to, to be able to say, you know what? I've got to admit it. I've been giving myself away to all sorts of idols and sin, but I have one in Jesus Christ who has given himself away for me, and I don't deserve his love, and I don't deserve his forgiveness. And I don't deserve his goodness, but I am good. Not because of my goodness and not kicked out because of my badness, but I am good. You are good because of his goodness that he gives to you. To be able to say, this isn't as good as it gets. 
And I need the nutrients of teaching and fellowship of the Lord's Supper, of breaking of bread and the prayers. And together, these daily vitamins and minerals feed me and fuel me, and they together make me more than I could ever be on my own because God's not done with me yet. And this isn't as good as it gets. It's just the beginning. I've been reborn. You are... And in Jesus Christ, you are new every day. This is what the early church looked like at its birth. Dominant, different, diverse, and devoted. And that's what you look like too. When you grow up and love the one who's devoted to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, who gave himself away for you and for me, and is risen from the dead. Amen.